You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. In the Hebrew sacred text, we read of an ancient story of a town's xenophobic refusal to show hospitality um, out of a desire to protect its own affluence from the threat of having to be shared with others. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 270 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, preparation and transformation. Our title this week is No Room in the Inn. It's a holiday focus and our feature text is Luke 2, 4 through 7. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, last week, uh, I witnessed many of my friends arguing the wrongness of, of tear gassing women and children at the U.S.'s southern border. And I, and I watched online as many of the people that they attend church with, they argued the rightness of the U.S.'s actions as such. And, and, and I, I read thin arguments, uh, which did very little, I think, to, to veil the bigotry from which those arguments flowed. And at the same time, uh, many of those arguments, uh, they're being made by people who are about to, or they have already, p- put up nativities to, to celebrate the birth of, of their Jesus, whom the innkeeper also turned a- a- away. They'll celebrate a narrative that, that uh, also later speaks of Jesus as a child and his parents escaping violence in their own region to, to seek asylum in a foreign country. And the irony for that to be taking place at this time of year is painful. The recent acts by the U.S. at its southern border not only should not be defended by Christians or any person of goodwill, the acts themselves are deeply uh, inhumane. Uh, I'm going to read to you uh, from uh, Tear Gas Should Never Have Been Used at the Border, and It Doesn't Belong at Protests Either. This is just a snippet from this article, and I'll put a link to the article as well in this week's e-site. But it states, Tear Gas has been outlawed as a method of warfare on the battlefield by almost every country in the world. That prohibition does not apply to domestic law enforcement officers using tear gas on their own citizens. The use of this chemical agent, which can cause physical injury, permanent disability, and even death, is often excessive, indiscriminate, and in violation of civil and human rights. Studies suggest that children 
are more vulnerable to severe injuries from chemical toxicity. Infants exposed to tear gas can develop severe pneumonitis and require weeks of hospitalization. Using it on a crowd of people who are exercising their right to seek asylum at an international border indeed violated human rights norms. And in the Hebrew sacred text, we read of an ancient story of a town's xenophobic refusal to show hospitality um, out of a desire to protect its own affluence from the threat of having to be shared with others. The city of Sodom uh, was located in a coveted region because of its agricultural fertility. And they also, uh, just uh, just as the U.S., the U.S. is presently attempting, they soon developed, Sodom soon developed an effective strategy of of terror to keep foreigners away. And and, and those, uh, for those who are familiar with the story, Lot, by contrast, he he saw the two foreigners in his town and invited them to his home for the evening to keep them safe, hoping to send them away secretly uh, on their way at the first light of dawn the next day. And what happened that night was terrifying and it was intentional to send a message to all foreigners to send away. This is Genesis 19, 1 through 5, and it's not easy to read. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house so you can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we'll spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and enter his house. He prepared a meal for them, breaking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may have sex with them. Now, typically, Christians use this story to to marginalize those who are born with same-sex attraction or orientation or 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 uh, to, to, it's used to marginalize same-sex loving relationships and i believe that these interpretations of this story they grossly miss the mark in a, a most destructive way for those who identify as lgbtq and and, and this story has nothing to do um, and i, I want to make that clear it has nothing to do with sexual orientation and instead it's about responding to strangers with violence, and in this case, sexual violence, in times um, where where their lives depend on your welcome and on your hospitality, and you can see Judges nineteen eleven through thirty. You can see Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. I'm also going to put a link to uh, uh, the Wikipedia article, uh, "The Rape of Men in in Wartime Sexual Violence." And in this story or in this culture, male rape was intended to inflict the worst possible humiliation, uh, rooted in in the social constructs of their own ingrained patriarchal gender roles, and the the, the laser beam of conviction that this story truth possesses in these ancient tales it it it, it, it 
it should rather be directed toward the kinds of actions that are being chosen on our southern border presently. The tradition of hospitality towards strangers is it was carried on by the Jewish followers of Jesus in the New Testament scriptures. We we find there a call to to hospitality toward migrant strangers uh, too. In Hebrews thirteen two, it says, "Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing some people have shown hospitality to angels." without knowing it. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus too, he names hospitality towards strangers as as a mark of distinction between those who are genuinely following him and those who who do so only in in name or in name only. In Matthew 25, 35, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. And Jesus here is standing in the Jewish hospitality to strangers tradition of both the Torah and the Hebrew prophets. I'm going to go through a list. Bear with me. I'm going to go through a list of passages here. Deuteronomy 26, 12, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. In Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. When you harvest grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And this is Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work, all the work of your hands. And then lastly, Deuteronomy uh, 10, 19, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. And today, many in the United States, and not all, but many are participating in the same irony of being descendants from immigrants themselves while participating in, in a present-day xenophobia towards contemporary immigrants, including those who are merely seeking a, a, a asylum. In Leviticus 19.34, it continues, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And even the cherished Sabbath commandments include the foreigner. And they also include, a, I'll say this, a problematic mention of, of those who are born slaves. Um, but, but notice the integration of the foreigner in, in Exodus 23, 12. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, so that you, the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Exodus 23.9, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourself know how, know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Exodus 22.21, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. You were foreigners in Egypt. Exodus 23.9, 
29, do not oppress a foreigner. Exodus 22:21, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. Deuteronomy 27:19, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, then all the people shall say amen. Deuteronomy 24:17, do not deprive the foreigner or the father, the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Deuteronomy 10:18, Yahweh defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Ezekiel twenty two twenty nine. the people of the land practice extortion, they commit robbery, they oppress the poor, the needy, and they mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. Those who are presently migrating from Honduras, they're trying to escape a destabilized society that we created. The U.S. has a long history of of destabilizing any society that leans towards either socialism or or possesses resources that we desire. And, And these people are migrating away from a horrific societal state that we helped create. And on top of this, we also Also here, we have a long history of creating immigration policies out of the intent of of maintaining, uh, um, and if this is your first time hearing this, just hear me out, uh, maintaining a white majority, a concern that's that's born from the the myth of of white supremacy, or rather the Anglo-Saxon mythology. In in Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas's book, Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God, Dr. Douglas, she rightly shows how the same stand your ground values that lead to the, the the murder of citizens of color like Trayvon Martin. It's the same set of values that's at the heart of our racist immigration policies as well. She quotes those in our history like President Theodore Roosevelt, who quote unquote became so obsessed with the number of quote-unquote new stock immigrants compared to the low birth rate of old stock Anglo-Saxons that he feared race suicide. President Woodrow Wilson uh, wrote, our Saxon habits of government are threatened by the corruption of foreign blood. In 1882, Henry Cabot Lodge, he, he uh, addressing a, a panic uh, uh, caused by uh, immigration, he wrote, uh, 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 the question of foreign immigration has of late engaged the most serious attention of the country, and in a constantly increasing degree, the race changes which have begun during the last decade among the immigrants to this country, the growth of the total immigration and the effect upon it, the quality of our citizenship have excited much apprehension and aroused very deep interest. And Dr. Douglas, she continues, in an article entitled, Whose Country Is This?, President Calvin Coolidge provided a lengthy rationale for restrictive immigration laws. He argued that even though America was an immigrant nation, it could not allow sentimentality to get in the way of it accepting the right kind of immigrant. That sounds familiar today. He explained that it was in the nation's best interest to require all those aliens who come here that they have a background not inconsistent with American 
institutions. Now, by now, we know, as Coolidge readers surely knew, that American meant Anglo-Saxon. Coolidge made this clear when he said such a background might consist either of a racial tradition or national experience. He went on to say that just as there was no room in the country for the importation of cheap goods, there was no room either for cheap men. Thus, America was obliged to maintain that citizenship at its best. This meant for Coolidge, erecting some kind of quota system. He substantiated his bigotry with science. He said, biological laws tell us that certain divergent people will not mix or blend. The Nordics propagate themselves successfully. With other races, the outcome shows deterioration on both sides. Observance of ethnic law as a great, uh, as great a necessity to a nation as immigration law, the argument put forth by President Coolidge reflected the long-standing fear that was sweeping across the country. One expressed by presidents before him, it was fear that Anglo that the Anglo-Saxon would be wiped out in. America. In other words, our immigration policies are rooted in a deeply racist xenophobia. And if you'd like to know more about this history, if you'd like to read more of the history, you can you can look up uh, Kelly Brown Douglas's book, uh, Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God. Uh, I was reading from pages 29 through 30, but the whole chapter is, is well worth uh, your read. Racist xenophobia it's at the heart of what we're presently witnessing on the southern border of the United States. And yet we're about to celebrate a holiday centered around the narrative of a baby boy born in a dirty stable out back because an innkeeper took one look at a poor man and his wife seated on a ragged donkey. They were, they were strangers. And, and even though he was not, she was nine months pregnant, um, he, he would not so much as even give up his own bed to her for, for, for only one night and instead looked at their, their state and inhospitably said, uh, we have no room. Thank goodness he, he, he didn't have any tear gas. Luke 2, 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Heart group application this week. Uh, you don't have to live on the southern border of the United States to, to welcome the stranger, to in include those who are marginalized, or to provide community for those who, who need a little love this holiday season. Number one, uh, wherever your heart group is located, wherever you meet, find uh, ways to practice hospitality this week. And, and number two, I want you to journal your experiences as you do this. And then number three, next week, I want you to share what you've learned uh, with your group. Thank you for checking in with us. Uh, we here at RHM, our, our uh, Renewed Heart Ministries, we are we're thankful to be journeying alongside of you for another year. And, and remember, right now is uh, we have an anonymous and very kind supporter who wants to extend the rare opportunity of matching each contribution that's made to support RHM's work throughout the rest of December, including all year-end contributions. And as we approach the end of 2018, all the contributions through December 31st, they're going to be, they're, they're going to continue to be matched. And, and so we're 
asking for your help. Help us reach uh, our budget goals for 2018. Help us avoid a potential uh, budget shortfall for this year and and to be able to plan for 2019. And you can go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and just click donate. Or you can, again, as always, just mail your support if you'd rather do it by mail to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. We are beyond thankful for every one of you who support our work and and those who are helping to ensure that Renewed Heart Ministries' work will continue to grow. Wherever you are this week, right right where you are, keep living in the the beauty of love, uh, compassion, action, and justice. I love each one of you dearly and happy holidays to every one of you. I'll see you next week.